If you'd like to borrow a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand and our ushers will bring you a Bible. We, we like to stick to the Word of God here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. And we're marched to the book of Matthew right now, and it's in your Bible. If you want to borrow one, just raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. We'll put it back in the pew when you're done. I know some of you are new to our church this morning, and it, it may be kind of overwhelming, everything that's going on. Um, just, just to simplify it for you, two things. We have this thing called the city. It's the kind of way we communicate uh, on the internet that you can sign up for in the lobby at the welcome table. That will help you learn a lot more about our church. And also, we have these uh, community groups that we call ethos communities where we, we gather together to encourage one another and we, we move out on mission together. And those are also in your bulletin. So we'd like to welcome those of you who are new here this morning. And after today, I know what's going to happen. Many of you are going to disappear for the summer. Some of you are going to disappear for good as you're graduating. Many of you will be gone all over the place for the summer. And even those of you who are not uh, gone for the summer, I know that you will be in and out with travels and vacations and whatever else is going on in your life. But, but no matter what, this is what's going to happen. No matter what happens to you this summer, I don't care where you go, for sure, you are going to be around people who do not know and follow Jesus Christ. I would say that you're going to be around them more than you were over the winter that just ended last week because, because people are going to start to come out of their holes now and as they come out, you will, you will enter, have these more of these interactions with people who do not know Jesus. And what I want to communicate to you this morning from the Word of God is I want you to see Jesus' heart for them. What's his heart for them? And as you, 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 as you dive in a little bit more, I want you to see, maybe you don't know Jesus here this morning. I want you to see Jesus' heart for you. And, and for all of us who are believers, what we want to see have happen is have Jesus' heart for those who don't know him kind of start to mold our hearts for others. And we're going to see it in the book of Matthew. So let's, let's all stand and read Matthew chapter 9. I'll read it to you. We'll start in verse 35 of chapter 9 of Matthew. If you can't find Matthew, look on someone next to you. They'll show you where it's at. Look in the table of contents. We're in the New Testament, Matthew 9. We're going to start in verse 35. And when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive much without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, no, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. 
But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You may be seated. The leaders of our church are called elders, and this past week at our elder meeting, what we do is we, we go to the Lord initially in prayer, and we talk about all the needs in the church uh, that you're struggling with, that things are going on in your life. And this past Tuesday, as we were talking about all the requests of people in our church, it was like a mountain of, 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 of problems, of suffering. It was just piling up, name upon name upon name. You know what we're talking about, right? Because it, it, it's you. And, and one of our elders uh, stopped us and said, you know what, it seems like a lot of people in our church are dealing with significant issues, significant sufferings, significant pain. And in, in, in a sense, we were just sitting around and we were so overwhelmed and burdened by this mountain of problems, which, which is going on in your life. But what we did next was amazing and yet quite simple. We had the privilege of going to our Father in prayer, our sovereign Lord, and we got to lay it all out before him and we got to, to go to the one who grants salvation, who grants forgiveness, grace, comfort, peace, guidance, direction, provision. It was an awesome privilege to bring you before the Lord. But think about this. Those who do not know Jesus, they deal with the exact same stuff you do. You sin, they sin. You suffer, your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus also suffers. You have conflict, they have conflict. You have pain, they have pain. But here's the difference. They don't have the privilege you have. The re their reality is they cannot and choose not or do not bring their lives before the Father through Jesus in prayer. Can you imagine dealing with what you're dealing with without Jesus? That's their reality. And so I'm just curious. What's your gut reaction to that reality? What's your gut reaction that people who do not know Jesus are dealing with the same stuff you deal with, but they don't have that, that fatherly privilege through Jesus? What is your gut reaction? Well, this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to show you Jesus' gut reaction. Uh, let me explain. When Jesus saw the crowds... The Bible tells us in verse 36 that he had for compassion for them. I don't throw around a lot of Greek words up here on Sunday morning. You, you probably never heard me talk about Greek words. But when I was in seminary, my favorite Greek word was this word for compassion. And it's the word splanchnizomai. And let me tell you why I like that word. Splanchnizomai. It's very... Bull. Let me tell you why I like it. Because it has to do with Jesus being moved deeply in his gut, in his inward parts. And I just had this vision of like, splanch, like your guts. 
just spilling out of you onto someone else with so much compassion. That's the meaning of the word. Like he's so moved when his inward parts for lost people that he wants to spill out all over them with compassion. He is moved in his inward parts. And there's other times that he's dealing with those who do not follow him, who do not recognize the Messiah, who do not acknowledge the Messiah. Jesus has strong motions. In fact, there was a time in his ministry where he started weeping, crying over lost people. Let me put this verse up for you in Luke 19, 41 through 42. It says, when he, and he, when he drew near and saw the city, this is Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So Jesus is crying over lost people. And, and if you think about it, maybe some of the things that you and I cry about are really trivial. Uh, recently, I was crying because Scotty won American Idol. It was a very emotional time for me. I mean, he is a Christian, and he won American Idol. It's got it really emotional, and my kids are making fun of me and mocking me. But that's that, I just such, what am I doing crying over that? It's so trivial. And here's Jesus. He's not crying over trivial things. He's crying over lost people. And I'm not trying to conjure up tears in your eyes. I'm not trying to say, hey, you got to start crying right now over the lost people. Or you, you got to feel real guilty about that. But, but I am showing you, there is a place for strong emotions for those who are separated from God and are away from his compassion. Such strong emotions that were in Jesus Christ. And those strong emotions can be in us as well. And, and, and look what moved Jesus Look again at verse 36. He had compassion for them. He he felt this in his gut because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this this is a slam on the leaders of the day because these shepherds, these spiritual leaders in Israel... They were caught up in this meaningless rituals, this religion where they burden people with these externals without ever dealing with their heart, without ever pointing them to the Messiah. And this lack of leading left this crowd helpless, harassed, without a shepherd. And they needed Jesus as their ultimate shepherd. And it tells us at the beginning of Matthew that he is the promised one who has come. And the reason why Jesus came was to shepherd his people. I love that. He came to shepherd his people. He's the Lord who's come to shepherd. And, and I think that his, his, his compassion that he felt for this crowd, his desire to shepherd them, is a great model for our compassion for lost people. Because too many times when we get around and we start talking about people who do not know Jesus, we almost like talk about them as if they're some type of project or we need to have some massive strategy or we need to have some, some amazing approach and, and model. And you can talk about models and strategies all you want. But I'm going to tell you this. Nothing is more important than you actually caring about people and being moved with compassion for them. People who look just like you, live just like you, have struggles like you. They may have it all together. They may have a better income than you. They may, they just may, may look like they have a life better together to you. But the Bible tells us that apart from Jesus, they're helpless and they're without a shepherd. They have no forgiveness. They have no reconciliation. They need Jesus as their shepherd. And that, that, that should move us with compassion toward them. 
So there are some people in here who have a special gifting and a calling. Maybe it's a certain time in your life. Maybe it's a certain calling in your life for something called contact evangelism. Contact evangelism, uh, another way if you want to be more you know, upfront about it, it's, like, it's almost like a cold call evangelism. Nothing wrong with that. We see that throughout the Bible. This, this where you just go up to people and you, you don't know them, but you're going to share the gospel with them. We're going to basically see the, the, the apostles doing that here in a little bit. But for those of you who, who have this, 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 this gifting and this calling and this compulsion to move toward others you don't know and to tell them about Jesus Christ, whether it's on campus or it's in the streets, I just want you to know, you've got to be motivated by compassion, not by quotas, not by spiritual boasting, but motivated and moved toward them with your gut, moved with compassion. If you're not moved with compassion, it will come across as if you're trying to sell Mary Kay Cosmetics or something. It's like, no, that's not what you want to do. You want to be moved with compassion. And for everybody in here, you're saying, well, I'm not called to contact cold call evangelism or, or I'm not going to do that. Well, you know what? Every single person here should be sharing their faith. Sharing their faith with people you know in your family, on your street, at your work, maybe people you, you interact with in recreation. You need to be sharing your faith. But you do it out of compassion. You don't do it because someone is some type of a product you're trying to, trying to seal the deal with them or you're doing it out of guilt. I'm telling you, we've got to be motivated with our gut of compassion because if not, our evangelism efforts are going to peter out. They're, they're not going to last. We have this class coming up starting this Thursday in our church. And, and how many of you have been through evangelism classes? You get all excited, you get all motivated, you share the faith, and then you tank. Right? You're done. You stop encouraging one another and it's gone. It's because you, you've got to have this continual motivation from our gut, a gut level motivation for people who do not know Jesus. So where's this compassion going to lead us? Well, look at verse 37. Look at the 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So Jesus wants his disciples to be moved by this harvest, but he wants the first move to be a prayer move. To seriously pray for God to send out gospel laborers. Someone has actually called this the other Lord's Prayer. You're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hell. Well, this is the other Lord's Prayer. It's the only other time in the Bible where Jesus tells his disciples, you know, what they ought to pray for. And it's, uh, the question is, is, has often been asked is that what if we use this Lord's Prayer throughout the last 2,000 years in liturgy rather than the one we were praying? Well, what, what would the, the mission of the church be like? Here's a quote by Christopher Wright. He asked this question. He says, what might have been the story of Christian mission if this prayer had become the one we had memorized and repeated and meant down through the centuries. Like, Lord, give us laborers to send out. Please give laborers. The, the, the harvest is, is, is ready. There are so many people who have not heard the gospel who need to hear the gospel. And I think it's a prayer we should still pray today. And when we're gathering for this evangelism class or for anything else, we want to pray to send out. Lord, send out laborers. In fact, you don't need to turn, the, turn there, but it's also repeated in the book of Luke, in Luke 10, 2, it's same thing says, and he said to them, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The same ones repeated. And the reason why I mentioned Luke 10 too, to you is because uh, Pastor John and I have been encouraged uh, a long time ago to set the alarms on our phones to go off every day, and they still do, at 10.02 a.m. As a reminder, pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send out laborers. Ask him to send out people to go and proclaim the truth of Jesus into this great harvest. And what's so amazing about this prayer is that it's, 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 it's dangerous. You know why? Because it's often self-answering. You're like, Lord, send out laborers. And you, you don't do anything? You're like, well, you're not. You're kind of missing the point. But this is, this is like a self-answering prayer. Send out laborers. Well, I guess I got to go. That's kind of how it is. It's a self-answering, self-answering prayer. And, that, and that's what happens next here in Matthew. He sends out these laborers, these apostles. Look at it in verse 1 of chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So up to this point, Jesus had been the main one. Up to this point, he's been the main one preaching. He's been the main one casting out demons and doing the the miracles. And now he's like, okay, I'm going to give you the authority. Now you go out and preach. Now you go out and and heal. Now you go out and, and... and cast out demons. It's kind of a new twist in this rabbi-student relationship. So they're not just to keep following him and just kind of, okay, what are we going to do? But they have to actually go out under his power and under his authority. And, and I think it's so cool that, that we are following Jesus on this great adventure. We are being sent out, propelled out to do the works that he's authorized us to do. We're not sitting back in our piety and trying to be all holy on our own and got this little holy huddle, but we're actually sent out on mission with his authority. You see, some people, uh, and, and I see this, this is very regular, some people will feel like there's something missing in their Christian life. You may be here this morning and you may say, there is something missing in my Christian walk right now, and, and you don't know what it is. And so what some people think is it has something to do with the Holy Spirit. That may be true. You may, may have no clue about the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But some people think, you know what? It has to do with the Holy Spirit and ecstatic experiences. I need more Holy Spirit experiences. That's what's lacking in my life. So I'm going to go to this conference in Toronto, and I'm going to go to this one over here, and I'm going to have all these crazy experiences because that's what's lacking. But then there's another group of people, and they say, you know what? There's something missing in my Christian life, and I think it has to do more with traditions. And I think it has to do more with just these, this variety of liturgies that I somehow need to fill my life. And you'll find almost like a movement toward Catholicism because there's something missing in your life. You say, that must be what it is. I'm going to go back. I'm going to move toward Catholicism. And, and I'm going to say, chances are, there may be a lot going on in your life. But if there's something missing, you know, it, it's often called mission. You don't see that you are called to be sent out on mission. So if you're just kind of just hanging out and feel like something's a mission missing in your life, you're not really doing much, you're just kind of just there, it could be you're missing being sent out on mission. You are a called one, a sent one. You are to go out and minister in the name of Jesus. So perhaps that's what's missing in your life. Well, look what Jesus does. He continues on. He's not done. 
Let's look at the name of these guys he is commissioning. Verse 2. The name of the 12 apostles are these. Now notice they're in pairs. Maybe they went out in pairs. Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Okay, that's one pair. James, son of Zebedee. John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Oh, it's, there's 12. Do you, you catch that 12? Do you remember another number 12 back in the Old Testament? 12 tribes. And we have 12 disciples following Jesus on this new mission to the world. And they're paired up, and they're sent out, and they're going out. And I think there is an absolute place for this, for certain people have a calling upon their life to be sent out and to do this full-time like these guys. They're called missionaries, pastors, church planners. Maybe, maybe you just do it short-term like over the summer. For those of you going on a mission trip this summer, a stint, some sort like that, or a one-year stint of some sort. So I think what I want to do right now, before we move on, we want to acknowledge there, there is a special calling upon some people as the disciples here. I mean, though we all are disciples, though we all need to be sharing our faith, there are some people who are called to have this kind of this send-out full-time thing going on, maybe for a period in their life. So I just want to stop and ask. I want to ask you to stand up. I know it may be embarrassing, but stand up. If you're going on a summer project this summer, if you're full-time staff, if you're a pastor or you're planning to be a pastor or you're raising support or you're a missionary or you're raising support to be a missionary, if you're kind of full-time in this on campus or something like that, I want everybody that fits that description to stand up right now. Come on now. Don't be shy. So there are certain, just keep standing, there are certain people in our congregation for this time in their life, for this calling upon their life, are going out over the summer. They're called to be a pastor. They're called to be missionaries. They're called to raise support. And I think as a body, we need to recognize these people and encourage these people. And, and Jesus commissioned these people. And so for those of you standing, this, this word of God has to do with everybody. But let's just kind of pay attention as we, 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 we process that I want to tell you, I want to look at you, I want to look at all of you and say, you are authorized by the power of Jesus. You are authorized to go out under his power to spread the gospel under his authority. This is not your doing. Maybe you've been facing something recently, some oppression. Maybe it's been hard raising support. I don't know what's been going on. But you are authorized and called by Jesus Christ to spread the gospel. All right, you can sit down now. I praise God for you. I just want to recognize there are some people that are still doing some of this stuff. And praise God, because we need to be, as a church, sending people out continually. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Let's look. Here he goes. He's sending them out. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, I like that. It's like, what? That sounds kind of exclusive, doesn't it? Don't go to the Gentiles. Just go to the Jews. It's not that they couldn't share with the Gentiles, but just stay in this territory. I mean, I mean Jesus is the Messiah to the Jews. It was his primary mission when he was on this earth. He had interactions with the Gentiles. We all know that. But in this context, the lost sheep are the nation of Israel. And they are called the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when, after his death and resurrection, he is going to commission his disciples to break and go to the world. But right now, 
Go and proclaim the Messiah is here. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's where they're supposed to go on this short-term mission trip. And it is a short-term mission trip. They will come back from this mission trip. Keep going. Verse 7. This is what they're supposed to do. This is where it gets good. Check this out. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. So they're to go out, and as they go out, they are to proclaim word, and they are to do, which was the deed. They were to have these combination of words and deeds. And exactly what Jesus did. They're to proclaim the kingdom is at hand. The reign of God is here in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He is the promised one. He is here. Proclaim that and then show it. Have the deeds, the miracles, the compassion to back up your words, to back up your message. The miracles at that time authenticated the message. But I want to tell you, what we are seeing here is, 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 is supposed to also, I believe, transferred over to us as believers. We're to go out with word, proclaiming the gospel, and deed, showing acts of compassion. Yes, we, we're not... We're not working the same miracles. Maybe sometimes the miracles happen, but they were specifically to authenticate the message at that time. But we still move out with word, proclaiming the gospel, and deed, showing these acts of compassion. And I believe that these two should be held together as we go out as, as believers in this world. We are to proclaim the gospel, and we are to show the gospel and, and our deeds of compassion for others. Now, the question that always arises, maybe it arises at missions conferences, maybe it arises in church, maybe it arises on campus, maybe it arises in all your conversations about evangelism and mercy, because we have a lot of people in here who really care a lot about mercy, which should be all of you, by the way. So you have this combination of gospel proclamation, gospel mercy. Now, as you move out into this world, here's the question. Which one do you do first? You ever had that conversation before? Like, should we do the mercy part first? Or should we do the, you know, the preaching part first? Do we tell them about Jesus right away, and then if we get around to it, the compassion? Or we do compassion, if we get around to him, do we tell them about, about Jesus? And, and it's a question that, that often comes up. And, and, and here is someone... Uh, we've taken our church through the mission of God by Christopher Wright. Many of you have read that big honking 500-page book. Remember that book? You've read that, and it actually, it, he elaborates on this. And I want to share this with you so you do not have to read the 500-page book unless you want to. All right, so listen to this. This is what Wright says, and I think he's right. Ha. All right, here we go. He calls us to imagine this circle of human need. So you with me? Imagine this circle of human need, all right? Are you imagining it? So in this circle of human needs, sin has so corrupted the spiritual, the moral, the physical, the familial, the political, environmental, educational, economic, ethnic, religious, and many more. So you know that. The world is totally tainted, messed up, okay? So Wright gives this example of night blindedness in children in poor countries. Now, night blindedness is a condition where they have trouble seeing in low-light conditions, and it's caused by a lack of vitamin A. But in poor countries, so much more is involved than a lack of vitamin A. Let me explain to you, as you remember this, this circle of need. Listen to this. Night blindness has interlocking causes. Night blindness is indeed a symptom of vitamin A deficiency, which is a biological causation. 
Yet that deficiency is primarily the result of malnutrition, which occurs in a context of poverty, such as inequitable land distribution, unjust labor laws, and unfair wage structures. Finally, at the root of social injustice lie greed and selfishness, which are essentially moral and spiritual values. It is then not realistic to expect to cure and prevent night blindness with vitamin A drops unless we also address to confront issues of malnutrition, poverty, social injustice, and ultimately selfishness and greed. So here we go. We have this circle of human need, and we know the gospel addresses this. The issue is, where do we start? The traditional response has always been, this is what we do. We go in and we evangelize right away. And everything else, if it's going to happen, it can happen after that. But we've got to evangelize first. The other stuff can, it can be on the lower priority. But we've got to go into the situation and start preaching the gospel right off the bat and let everything else just fall into place. This is what Wright argues. Wright argues that that's not always possible and that's not the way of Jesus. Think about when Jesus deals with people, he doesn't just come right in and start speaking to them. You'll see he often heals and demonstrates compassion before he starts even speaking. Wright says we have this circle of human need, and he argues that we can enter this circle at any point of human need where it's the most pressing need. So if people need to eat, you give them food. If they need drops, you give them drops. If they're being oppressed by a very oppressive government, see what you can do to intervene there. He says you enter the circle need wherever you see that angle that fits to spread the gospel that way. But he argues this. No matter what you do, no matter what you do, this is his argument. I think, I think it's appropriate. He says, no matter what the situation of human suffering, the mission is defective without evangelism. Permit me to show you one more quote by Wright. Mission may not always begin with evangelism, but mission that does not ultimately include declaring the word in the name of Christ, the call to repentance and faith and obedience has not completed its task. It is defective mission, not holistic mission. So what we're called to do as Christians is be those of word and deed. We are to take the whole gospel to the whole situation and proclaim it in our words and show it with our compassion. And if you doubt that, you've got to see the disciples were sent to do both. And we are consistently called to do both, to proclaim the gospel and to show the deeds well, let's, let's keep going. They're going to need some provision for this trip. Look at their short-term mission trip in verse 8 and 10. It says, you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff. But the laborer deserves his food. So the, the apostles, they received this gospel free, and now they're to go out and preach it free. They're not to charge for a healing. They're not to charge for an exorcism. They're not to charge for the gospel. They're to proclaim it free. Freely you receive, freely you give. But as they go, they will find that those they are ministering to will give them food. Those they are ministering to will give them shelter. And this is just a small little portion, a small little picture of, of, the, of a fully developed theme later on in the New Testament that the idea is those who make a living proclaiming the gospel those who are served by them should pay, help them live. 
here's, here's some principles. Just something, something to think about. Yesterday we had our annual meeting. And one of the things that has, uh, happens at our annual meeting every year is something that is very strange for me. The whole congregation gets to see what you pay me. Can you imagine if you gathered your friends and family around and showed them what you made? It's kind of awkward, right? And it's, it, we have to do it by law. It's the legalities. And, and so it's up there. And so here's the principle of the matter. The principle is the pastor or the missionary is supported and sent out by the church, and they're to make ample provision for him or her. But at the same time, the pastor is not to get caught up in the things of this world. We're not supposed to envy your salary. I'm not supposed to envy your sweet ride. I'm not supposed to say, I'd rather have that bigger house and live on the higher end of society. No, I'm supposed to be dependent totally on the Lord. Now, this can get off in two ways. One way it can get off is a church can think that it is their job to keep the pastor humble and poor. <laughs> we'll keep you humble and poor, pastor. We'll work on your sanctification for you. Or another way it can get off is the pastor can think, now it's time to live large. But you, you know, when you see pastors living large, that, that doesn't encourage you. That's not what you want to see out of pastor's admission, that they're, they're living large, they're rolling in a bins or whatever. It's not like you want to see that. And so the church is to make ample provision. And the pastor and the missionaries are to trust what the Lord provides and not get caught up in the things of this world. Let's finish up here. So they go out and they preach. And this is what the, the variety of responses they're going to have. They should expect these responses. And we're really going to talk about this next week. But look at verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Have any of you been jolted just by reading that? Because we start with compassion and we're ending here with judgment. The compassion for Jesus is for all who want to repent and believe and receive his free grace. But if Jesus is rejected, there will come judgment. And it starts out in this passage as symbolic, and it will come actual reality one day. Jesus tells the disciples, if you get rejected, to shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Like, what, why would they do that? Well, the, the common idea is that when you were a Jew and you left your Jewish territories and you went out to pagan territories, before you went back to your Jewish territories, you were to like to shake your clothes off and everything to get this pagan sin and ways symbolically. You're just saying, I reject it all and I'm not even going to track it back in to my Jewish territory. That's what they're supposed to do to the Jews, the disciples. If they reject the gospel, you shake them off as a sign of their coming judgment. And it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. We know how sinful they were than it will be for those towns who rejected, rejected 
Jesus Christ. This is, this is really tough because what we're seeing here is that our compassion, we've got to have mixed with it the reality that real judgment is coming. And that's hard. That's hard because we, we love people. And this is where it gets tough. We have close friends. We have family members. We have neighbors. We have those we work with. People go to school. We really love them. And we actually like them. And we want them to follow Jesus. And, and the, the deal is, you and I are not in these relationships because we're trying to be salesmen or show a product line or pull a bait and switch. No, we're with these people because we actually love them. We really want them to know Jesus, right? But this is where it, it gets hard, is when they reject Jesus. That's when it, when it, when it really hurts. And, and Douglas Wilson, I really love this pastor, he says, he says, in these close relationships with non-believers, they will always hit a sticking point if they choose not to believe. They'll hit a sticking point. Because if they are choosing not to love your greatest love, then something's not clicking. Like if I really love my mom, or if you really love your mom, and your close friend hates your mom, there's something that's just not right. And same as with an unbeliever, keep sharing the gospel, keep loving them. And if we are finding that they are not embracing Jesus, it's a sticking point. Something is just not clicking right. And, and the question is, well, what are we supposed to do? We start, I shake my dust off my clothes, off my feet, and I'm going to shun you, get away from you. Now, that's just what the disciples did in this context of proclaiming the Messiah to these towns who should have been welcoming the Messiah. That's what they were supposed to do in this context. I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. I think you're supposed to persevere with compassion, persevere with love, persevere with the gospel, but continually be burdened by this compassion mixed with the reality of judgment. Now, I realize this morning it is very hard for some of you to have compassion for those who don't know Jesus. And one of the reasons why you do not have compassion for those who do not know Jesus is because you don't even have compassion for the person sitting next to you. There's a lack of compassion in your life just for the people that you know. Maybe it's your, your friends, your roommate, or your, your wife, or your husband, or even your kids. And so for me to call you to go have compassion on people who don't know Jesus, it's just not going to work. You don't have a lack of compassion for lost people problem. You have a lack of compassion compassion for people problem. And I also know there are some of you sitting here this morning, I'm trying to communicate to you, we need to move out with compassion toward lost people. And you're like, I don't even feel like Jesus has compassion for me. So there's no way you're ever going to tell anybody about Jesus because you, you don't feel like he even loves you or has compassion for you. And so you're just going to go in one ear and out the other because you just don't feel like he loves you. So what we're going to do here at the end, we're actually going to do something. We're going to, we're going to take some action here. We're going, to, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and it's going to be a means of reflection and repentance. Please do not go through the motions of coming up here and taking communion. If you feel like you're going to go through the motions today of taking communion, just don't take it. Don't take it. But if you want to seriously reflect and repent, when you come up here and you take this bread and you dip it, 
and you remember, remember, Jesus has compassion so much on you that he died in your place for your sins so you can know the Father and be reconciled to him and live forever. Actually reflect upon his love and grace for you and take as long as you need before you even come up. And for those of you who have lacked compassion for other people, just in general, the lost, take some time to repent. Repent not of just your lack of desire to care for the lost, but your lack of compassion for anybody. Repent of your hard heart. And for those of you who do not know Jesus, this is a great time to see people who are broken and wounded remembering what Christ has done for them. And may you call out for the compassion of God to forgive you and Jesus. So before we go into this time, I think it's appropriate that we just stop and go to the Lord right now in prayer. So let, let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord, I pray specifically for those in here who for whatever reason they do not believe that you love them. They do not believe that you are moved in your guts for them with compassion. That right now you would impress upon them how much you love them through your work on the cross, through your powerful resurrection to bring about their forgiveness through faith. For those of us in here, Lord, who are so far away to caring for not just the lost, but for any people, that you would stir us up in our cut to be broken and to care for people, those close to us, our friends, our spouse, our kids. May you break us for those close to us. Give us a heart for them and also give us a heart to care and love those who do not know Jesus so that we'll speak it and show it. And Lord, I'm asking that during this time of prayer and healing, during this time of the Lord's Supper, as we meet with you, that you would do a significant heart change in us. Do a work in and through us right now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.